Uh, well, welcome to the latest in the series of Ed's Property Podcasts, now called Ed Talks. Um, and for those of you who's li- who've listened to uh, what I've been talking about previously, you'll know that um, the objective of these podcasts is to bring in interesting people, people you might not know anything about. And the person I got in today is someone who's very close to my heart because... As many of you, the listeners will know, I was involved at Douglas and Gordon for a very long time, well over 20 years, um, and indeed still am as a shareholder and a non-executive director. Um, but the man i got sitting next to me is the existing COO, um, a gentleman called James Evans. Welcome, James. Thank you. Hi, Ed. Um, and not a lot of people know much about James, and I'm fairly sure that he won't give too much away, but we're here, listeners, to try and work out a little bit more about James. And... If you meet him in person, there are several things you'd be surprised about. I mean, Douglas and Gordon is an influential business. We've, you know, it's been around since 1959. It's now in James's hands as CEO to do what he sees fit with. But what you might be surprised about is how young he is. Um, if I tell you that he's more than young enough to be my son, um, it'll tell you that I think you're barely even 40. You don't have to say how old you are, but uh, <laughs> you're not 40 yet, are you? I am, actually. Oh, yes. Yeah, I've just turned. I've just turned that side of the uh okay um but the other thing you might notice about him is that he's extremely fit i mean you know i know when you first came to us there were all sorts of stories about your sporting prowess and rugby has been very much a part of your past isn't it yeah i played played a bit of sport when i was a bit younger um i think you're being quite modest i probably am being a bit modest yeah i played a lot of rugby as a as a schoolboy, um and a little bit afterwards played a bit out in new zealand um so got got the competitive edge on the sporting side which i think plays well into the business world as well and i think there's a lot of similarities in business and sport um in fact probably the fine line in sport of succeeding and failing is pretty fine you either win or you don't um england saw that at the weekend against wales as we know um whereas in business there can be quite a lot of hiding places and um I think very good businesses are the ones that acknowledge where ultimately the focus is right, um, the, have a successful formula that is not, I think winning is probably the wrong word, but the ability to attention to detail. And certainly one of the things that I've witnessed over the years in, in the business that we've worked in is if you are going to genuinely work properly for your clients it is the people who have the ability to focus who have the ability to work on behalf of their clients in an unbelievably professional basis and I think so many estate agency businesses can probably work on the um, could be seen more of an amateur sort of way of conducting themselves compared to professional how do i bring that back to the sporting point i'm, well, no, I think I'm, you're clearly, very, I'm, I'm clearly trying to avoid I mean, for, the question first you know, i mean first you're being very modest i think you were you played for england schoolboys didn't you Is yes that right? i did yeah. were you captain yeah. of that team yes i was and yes. you had a certain man called johnny playing underneath i you. did yeah you did yeah. so so anyway so so that gives you some idea of where james is sporting and he still looks like he plays rugby i don't know you, you presumably spend most of your time playing rugby with your kids who i, I know do. are very young but... yeah we've got young kids I, i'm now coach rather than play yeah. i haven't Fair actually enough. played for nearly 
well probably 10 15 years okay um, well you, you you don't look like it anyway yeah. you look but you you look you look extremely well but i just to sort of take on the sport i mean i do you know it's really that analogy of professional versus amateur i mean you you know i know presumably even at england schoolboys you weren't being paid to do it but you but you had a professional schedule that you kept to and you were you know fitness and all this sort yeah, of stuff yeah. um and that fitness to to practice is you're so right. You know, I've never really thought about it like that. The idea that the majority of people who are in a state agency, uh, amateurs perhaps is a bit strong. A lot yeah, of people might come I back probably, to us. Yeah, well, yeah. no, no. But I think I, I think if you lined up 100 people age 18 and said, who wants to be an estate agent? Probably no one would put their hand up. And then in five years time, when they've all slightly sort of failed at what they want to do, they come back to a state agency and think it's something to do. Well, actually, if you look at it from a recruitment point of view, one of the things that we focus on very much at the moment in the recruitment policy at D&G is who, who do we want to join our company? You know, and actually, if you take the approach that I mean, we employ a few hundred people, so we're not a we're not one of the bigger corporate players, but we are probably one of the biggest independent, privately owned businesses in London as real estate. And and the question we ask ourselves all the time is, do we have the best two hundred, three hundred people working for the company? And I think you have to be brutally honest with yourself running a business on that. If you were playing in professional sport, you would be brutally honest. Are you fielding the top eleven? or the top 15 players. Um, and if you're not doing that, your chances of winning Cups, World Cups, whatever it might be, are diminished significantly. And I suppose that's my point between the fine line between success and failure in sport and actually probably in business where you could turn a blind eye to the people working around you. So from a recruitment point of view, one of the things that we look at is if you want a truly successful company, if you want to truly um, offer your clients world-class service, great success in what they're trying to achieve you need people working for you that have that level of intensity in the way that they approach their daily work their daily lives so you know if you take one of the top sporting universities around the uk if you think in the third year how many all of those people and this is me included in your third year at uni had a vision to go on and play professional sport but the, the fallout of that is huge because very, very, very few go on and represent at the highest level. But those people have spent their entire careers, probably from the age of about 10 or 12, working to a formula of getting up early, training hard, doing more than the, the girl or the guy to their left or their right. And as a result, they've played at a very high level. Those are the types of people that I believe work brilliantly in a very successful company. And it's not just sport, actually. It could be on the acting stage. It could be people who have worked in the forces. It could be people who have had a very challenged upbringing, who understand how or value what hard work really is and value what it takes to succeed or to get through a scenario. And those ultimately are the people that we look for. That, that, that is without exception when yeah. I interview someone, the person that I want on our side to represent our client because it's not an easy world. It's certainly not an easy market out there right now. So your people are critical, absolutely critical. Yeah, no, it's, it's a people business. There's no yeah. doubt about that. I mean, it's, it's, it's no secret to anyone who, who um, knows you or is of the industry that, that um, your early career was spent at Foxton's. And it's, yeah. it's also, I don't think, any coincidence at all that, and I found this in my travels around the country, um, that almost all of the people, not almost all, but a very large percentage of the people who are now running some of the most successful businesses, it's no coincidence that they started their careers at Foxton's. And 
when I was running the Chelsea office of Douglas and Gordon, I was in awe, like most people were, I think, in awe of Foxtons. I mean, it was the most extraordinary business. And I, the impression we all have, it was full of the people that you were just talking about. People who were 100% committed. Work was everything. And, and, and it seemed like that was the, um, the way forward. Now, obviously, uh, I'm guessing you were there when the business was floated. And I think, you know, when businesses change from being relatively nimble and privately owned to, to, yeah. to being PLCs, they, they're, they're, there's a natural shift away from the... Not a natural shift, but there's. Um, it's more difficult to be nimble and to react to things. Um, are you enjoying that aspect in terms of D and G? That sort of freedom to really sort of shape it as you want. D- definitely. Um, I think. I mean, I had a great time at Foxtons. It was a great journey. Uh, very, very successful company. Um, but I'd always looked over the fence at D and G, and I think you and I went head-to-head for a period of time in Chelsea, actually. Yes, because you ran Sloan Square for a bit, I did for a bit, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, clearly you got some instructions that I didn't, which wound (laughs) me up, Ed. Um, That was my competitiveness coming through. But I'd always looked at D&G as a company that had a very, very good, high-quality brand. And brand is critical in any walk of life, in any business that you're running. You have to have a brand that is trusted. You have to have a brand that people like and want to work with. And I've always felt that D&G has had this integrity running through its DNA. And that that is something I've always admired. And I'm thankful that when I joined D&G three and a half years ago, it was absolutely a part of the business. And, and yes, I like the fact that it's privately owned. Yes, I like the fact that it is um, big enough to cope but small enough to care for all of its clients. And that that makes a big difference. You can genuinely make a difference to your clients. You can make a difference to the people that you work with. But also, we are in a changing climate. The industry is changing. What you and I, the way you and I did the job, gosh, well, I'm going to get my dates wrong, but back in 2002, 2003, in those Chelsea days, that's not the market we've got today. The volumes aren't there. The um, the market isn't the same. Now, there's a very, very good market out there. There's an exciting market, but it's not the same. And it, smaller, more adaptable, innovative companies can change quickly. They can adapt. They can move uh, and, and react to what is going on in front of us. And that's what we can do at D&G. And that makes it a very, very When you say innovate, what, what would you mean by innovate? Well, I think innovation for me is looking at something and saying, I'm not sure that works anymore. We can do it better. Like, is there anything you can think of? I mean, I know I'm putting you on the spot. So no, I, mean, I think, well, there's lots. The I think when I took six months out between my previous place and joining D&G, I had a lot of time trying to coach my boy how to play cricket, which I'm not a cricketer, I'm a, I'm a rugby guy, but I had a fair crack at it. But it gave me quite a lot of time to think about what was going wrong in the industry and what was not necessarily right about it. Um, and I think the industry has a whole different array of people, some very, very high-quality people. So, you know, without bigging you up, Ed, but back in the day, D&G was immensely successful in Chelsea because the leader who ran it, that was you, and that's why it had such a great market share. Um, it's all about people in this industry. So one of the things that I recognised is if you don't have quality in people, you have to change that. I also noticed and watched for a long time that people have stopped walking into a high street office. So years ago, you and I remember that on a Saturday morning, you'd have 20 or 30 applicants sitting in your office desperately trying to take a magazine, desperately trying to give you their, their telephone number because they wanted to buy a house. That doesn't happen anymore. Very, very rarely will someone walk into the office. That, that has dropped off the edge of the cliff. 
no 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 surprise they go to the website um but the technology that the industry has got currently is not fit for purpose for what our punters our, our consumers our clients want and rea- and act with on a daily basis with everything else they do. So how would you change that if you could? I mean, you know, because tech is obviously a real, it's quite, I mean, I'm sure you, like a lot of people who run um, estate agents, are fed up with a sort of succession of people coming in and saying, this is the answer to your prayers. But yeah. if, if, if you could, you don't have to name any companies, but if you could um, grab something that was out there and make it work for you. Which bits of that journey that have changed do you think could be automated or, or tech enabled? Well, I think automation is massive. You have to be able to automate a lot because people we live now. Certainly, in I'm speaking on behalf of London yeah. for the moment, which and I think is the same for a lot of. Well, it's probably the same across the country, but people now are very immediate. And so this probably isn't just London. We 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 have li- we live in a world now where if you decide you want you know some more cereal, you press you don't even press a button. Now you talk to a speaker in your kitchen, and within four hours, a man pulls up on or a lady pulls up on your driveway and delivers you your cereal. Um, that's just bonkers. If you said that fifteen years ago, you know you'd think that was something off a James Bond movie. But we just do that now. It's just normal. So without sort of being too crazy about it if you can order a taxi within three clicks of your iphone why can't we buy a property with three four five clicks of your iphone or android whatever you choose to use and most people will look at me like i've got two heads when i say that but the reality is that is the way the world will go. That is the way real estate will go. It won't work today because land registry is not digitised. The information that we need to collect to put a lettings deal together, to put a sales deal together, isn't in play yet. But it is. It's coming. It's happening. Um, You only have to look at Starling Bank Account now or Monzo. You can set up a bank now in less than 45 seconds. Um, All the KYC, all the AML is done neatly there. So all of this is happening, and what we've got to do is just create a very... And I've always been a big fan of creating your own technology. We have a wonderful world now. If you have an open API, you can pull in lots of other pieces to stitch into it. But you've got to be flexible, and I think if you have very, very slick technology, very simple, and that's the main point, it's got to be simple. Some of the most, some of the best businesses in the world are just simple. So that that's what it's that that is the greatest point of innovation. I think our industry needs is that simplicity, which then you know points to another point. This is not, I believe, a self-service industry. It is not a do-it-yourself. Very much the opposite. It is actually you do need, and I know there's lots of people that will disagree with me on this, and that's absolutely fine. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. But selling and renting a home is not easy. It never has been and it never will be, bluntly and mainly because you are dealing with people and you're dealing with emotions. And emotions need a very good navigator to work their way through that. And that's what a good quality real estate person will be able to do. And if they can do that with amazing technology, you have a very, very successful model. The thought that our industry is not open in the hours that our consumer really needs us, I don't believe is right and I don't believe is fit for, for purpose. I don't know of a brand, I'm not wearing a brand of clothing that the, the, the brand is not open seven days a week. 
uh, you know, I don't have many things in my home, but the brand and where we purchase them from aren't open all the time. And it is a bit odd that probably the greatest acquisition anyone is ever going to have in their life, their home, as a real estate person, you're not open for business at the Well, moment. I think that's a fascinating comment, actually, because um, it, it, there's been a little bit of the, well, look, we own the stock and, and you'll do with it what we tell you to do sort of thing, yeah. you know, for a long, long time. And when there wasn't the ability to complain on Twitter or social media or, you know, to genuinely create waves quite easily, people could get away with that. These days, um, reacting to people quickly, um, ratings, you know, getting good ratings these days mm. is as important as anything else in terms of your business. You get some bad ratings. It can it can really harm your business. Yeah. But would you say, you know, you, you can't get through um, a, a podcast like this really without referring to companies like Purple Bricks. Do you think that their recent difficulties and the difficulties perhaps in the online quote online unquote sector are because of changing market conditions or do you think it's because of something that's endemic in the model i don't believe in the model for what we do at dng we are full service for us it is about offering high high quality value to our clients Um, if i try and give a better analogy most people in life are not lucky enough to own their own business and if they are lucky enough to own their own business and at some point they want to sell that to realise the value they've created, they will employ very serious people, ladies and gents, to actually maximise the value of that. And they will pull together a suite of people that will go away and pull in the very best buyers in the marketplace for their business and negotiate the very best chance of sale for the very best price because they get one chance to do it lots of people across the uk and the world are lucky enough to own their own home but they are also at that point when they choose to sell that they that is the greatest asset they are likely to sell when they decide to sell it they need to maximize the value you get one chance to sell your home and at that point it has always seemed odd to me that you would not go out and interview a number of high caliber estate agencies real estate people to interview them to find out who you believe will be able to go and negotiate you the very very best price and you need to do that because there are a whole network of people that will want to buy that property and actually agreeing the price on a home is actually the easy bit getting it from agreeing the price to the money in your own bank account is remarkably hard. There are an awful lot of pitfalls that are going to come through. And at that point, you need someone experienced to navigate and negotiate your way through But if you were to talk to, I come back to the example, Purple Bricks, they would say, oh, yes, we've got our local property experts. I mean, do you think that the future of a state agency is going to be the same with the high streets, with offices on every corner? Because the old methodology for companies like Foxton's um, D&G, to some extent, yeah. was very much that we wanted to expand and open new offices. Yeah. Do you think that's still the future? Um, I think it probably could be the future. Yeah. I think if you take the last 15 years, we've had immensely low interest rates. And so the housing market has gone through a pretty frothy period. And agents have quite understandably and correctly capitalised on that. And so if you if you go back to yours and my time in Chelsea, you know, back in early 2000s, there weren't as many estate agencies on the high street. 
uh, even our own companies didn't have as many offices and now back there then. Are a lot more. now and what we've seen is a lot of people capitalize on opening more offices um, more companies, more individual startups. That what you've had is a huge amount of estate agents open, expand, and you've also now seen transactions since two thousand eight nearly half. So there's been half as much property for sale with probably you know twice as many estate agents in the marketplace. And you think they'll all still be around? No, 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 no. I think I think there's going to be. So when I, I I probably need to caveat my the agency's world's become a bit lazy and fat and not so high caliber. I, there is an exception to that. There are some immensely talented people in the industry, and there are some immensely talented companies. And you know, not to name them, but you know, people could probably deduce which ones we're talking about. There are very high caliber businesses out there with very high caliber people in them. Those ones will survive. Those ones will rise to the top and they will take market share. There are, but the, the people that aren't caliber and aren't high quality will go. And there's not, and I personally don't think there's a huge problem with that. I think there is always going to be a place for your online business. I mean, you know, there, there, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But I don't believe, I don't believe it will become the market leader. Because I think there are a lot of people, probably like-minded like me, that understand the value of their home and understand the value of finding people to negotiate it properly. Well, I think, I mean, I, I've just come from a, a, a meeting, a TPO forum meeting, where um, one of the guys from MHCLG was talking and who said the average time for people to move at the moment is 19 years in the UK. I mean, I know in London it's a bit less than that. But it's not entirely surprising that people, when they come to move, as you just said, they will interview people to see whether yeah. they think they're the right people. But one of the problems that a recent consultation MHCLG had was that um, people, of course, if they are only moving, let's say, I think I think in London it's now 11, 12 years or something is the gap between when people move often. Yeah. They're terribly inexperienced. So as you and I both know, people tend to judge the agent by, oh, how many boards have they got in the area? Yeah. Or in, in, in Purple Bricks' um, example, they'll say, oh, they're on telly all the time. They must be good. Mm. So... Surely this issue of interviewing of interviewing people is a little bit old fashioned, isn't it? I mean, how can you how can you judge if you if you're inexperienced and someone comes in? What sort of questions should should you be asking your person that comes in to give you your valuation? Well, I think I think it, I think as a trust point, it's it's like anything, isn't it? You know, you've got to actually establish: Do you think this person is? Do you like them? Do you connect with them? Do you believe they are going to be able to connect with a buyer? and be able to negotiate the deal for you. Uh, that's the most important. I mean, sales is a funny thing. My, my personal view when I talk to our staff about how to sell, I said the number one thing is you have to connect. If someone doesn't trust you and they don't believe you, it doesn't matter what you're selling. They're not, they're not interested. They don't want to deal with you. So the first thing in sales is make sure you connect. Make sure that you sell yourself so people believe in what you're going to do. The next bit is you've got to believe in the market. You've got to, you've got to make sure that the person sitting in front of you that you're about to give your prized asset to thinks London's great, thinks the UK's great, thinks housing is the right thing. Because if they don't believe in the housing market, they ain't going to find anyone to buy it. So they've got to believe in the market. They've got to be confident. They've got to be optim optimistic. You're not going to put your kids into a school if the headmistress or the headmaster turns, oh, it's not a great school out there. But you've still got to get through the door to be one of those three people. And yeah. 
I think that's got my own view is that I think that's got even more difficult because I think it, you know we all know that mostly people will tend to get three people in they'll they'll go for a local agent someone who's a bit bigger maybe even national and these days that you know the third one is likely to be one of the onliners in some way because people are going to think oh well let's give it a go and just see see what they're like because that TV advertising and that overarching presence that some of these agents have Yopa Purple Bricks these sort of guys. Um, is probably enough to make you think, well, I've seen them, I'll get them in as well. So, you know, if we're looking at the full service sector, it's really difficult to be one of those two that get in. So the inference from what you're talking about is, you, you know, one's still requiring putting boards up and yeah. and doing the advertising. And and so, so you, wouldn't, you wouldn't shy away from that or do anything differently from that. On the, no, marketing's massive. I mean, it, it, you know, that is your window to the world. It's how people recognise you. But but we mustn't, you know, my view is referral is, is huge. Um, if you do a good job for somebody, they are going to tell their friends. They're going to tell their neighbours. These these people did a great. This lady did an amazing job. And you know, if I if I want advice on something, I will phone a friend and say, "Do you know anyone in this sector? And yeah. could you give me a referral? Someone you know is good." And that that's what D and G has done so unbelievably well. And we pride ourselves massively on service. You have to. You have to do the job brilliantly. You have to really take care of your client. You have to really take care of your consumer because it doesn't matter how challenging the process is or how good the process is, that person has to go away happy, content, and feeling that they got value and they'll tell other people. Yeah. That, that's huge. But yes, you need to be present. You need to have board presence. You need to have visibility on the internet that i mean that's where people start their searches now but but trust referral all of that no, is, absolutely. Is I mean, you know, we know that a referred a referred client is 10 times more likely yeah. to instruct than someone yeah. who's just yeah, coming yeah, to you cold absolutely um but i think there's so much that is that is changing i mean you know dng has has been around since 1959 as we talked about it's it's got a huge lettings book it's very well known in a lot of sales markets um but the difficulty sometimes with agency is that um, people uh, people stay in post for a very long time. And, you know, there are all sorts of things that make life difficult. You get a good negotiator who wants to be a manager, so you lose a good negotiator and gain a bad manager. Getting the right people to service all these different mm. sectors of the market. Is there anything that you're, you envisage as being a different way or another income stream you know, there are lots of different things that agencies can do in terms of servicing customers these days. And when I say customers, I mean, I mean, actually buyers as well as sellers. They're all, you know, they all need servicing. You know, it, it, are there other things you can do besides just sales and lets and property management? Um, is there anything you're considering doing at D&G? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think if you take lettings, you made the point about our lettings book. We do have a very strong lettings business and we have immensely loyal clients. Some have been with us for you know, decades and have multiple, multiple properties. We have a very, very high renewal rate and relet rate, you know, in the very high 90s, you know, very close to 100% of our clients come straight back to us, uh, mainly on our managed service. So if we manage someone's rental property, they almost without exception come back and use us. And that's because the service that we provide throughout the tenancy is very high calibre. So so they, they don't want to go anywhere else. 
and and I ha- and I've hopefully neither sh- nor should they. But like, if your bank is doing a good job, why would you change a bank? You don't. But but if you think about that from a business point of view, we are in constant contact, adding value and being of use to our client, so they stay with us. If you sell a home for somebody. One of the challenges our industry has is there is this perception that, oh, the agent's taken their cash and now you never hear from them again. And that's not right. That, that, that's not good for business. My view and our view at D&G is if we sell someone a home, we need to be a value for them for the lifetime that they own that home. So we offer a home, what we call home helper fundamentally a home PA service. So, you know, if you bought a house from us, Ed, we'd move you in. We'd we'd do your utility switching. We would make sure that the removals were right. We'd even get the place clean for you. Obviously, you'd have to pay for it, Ed. But we would make sure that that process was seamless and, and careful. If you decided that you wanted your second bedroom repainted, we can do that. It's it's odd that when someone moves into a house and they think, well, there's all these things I need to do now. Who do I contact? Well, they absolutely should be contacting us, D&G, for, the, for, for any of that sort of type of work. If they want to do a loft conversion in a couple of years' time, we can do that. We should be, have the ability to monitor and manage the cost of that home for them. Imagine if your home was costing you £15,000 a year to run. Imagine if we could actually by buying power, get that to £12,000 a year. That is of a huge value to you financially. But more importantly, it's all the things that you don't want to worry about. You, you can now go on and live your life. And that's really, really important to us. So that's the home helper service. It's fundamentally, we will manage your property for the entirety that you live there. The, the, the important point on that is actually in 5, 7, 10 or 11 years that you decide to sell that property, we are the captive audience. We are the people that you would then need to come and talk to to give you a valuation. We can value a property every year. So we need to add value to our clients and then retain their business for them. So, I mean, it's one of the things that's, that's going to be coming up, I can tell you right now, is referrals. Mm. And I know that... Um, one of the things that certainly we always struggled with in the old days at D&G, and I think it's one of the things that corporate agents have got uh, off pat. It's no coincidence that Countrywide tell us that every for every £1 they earn in fees, they earn 45p in referrals. But referrals are fast becoming a dirty word. Um, you know, the government is about to, to launch a sort of transparency exercise where estate agents are going to need to say exactly how much they earn yeah. from referrals and what the cost of the service is, et cetera, et cetera. Do you have a view on referrals? I mean, my personal view has always been that why would you refer a duff person to do a job? And if you're being transparent and saying what you're earning out of it, then 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 then, then where's the beef? But I'm just wondering where you well, whether think, you have an opinion. I think transparency is absolutely paramount. You have to be transparent if you want trust. You know, if you've got integrity, you just that's what we charge. That's what we do. And so I'm, I've got no issues with that. I also think, you know, over the last 20 years of doing this job, people actually, if they trust you, go right back to that beginning bit that you've made a connection. You don't need to say, would you like to? They ask. They say, James, do you know of someone? Of course I do. Of course I do. What would you like to know? This is the person I've used for 20 years. 
and it's that's it. That's a really good point, isn't it? So I think people it, forget that trusting someone with that process is yeah. It's natural. the stigma that people believe. Oh, the agent just pushes, pushes, pushes this, and, and fine. That that may happen in the industry. That's not what we do at DNG. That's not the, what we're looking for. If you genuinely focus on people and caliber. And if you gain that trust, people want and ask. I mean, I I can't go to a dinner party, a drinks or standing on the side of a football pitch on a Saturday or a Sunday morning with my kids and not have people ask me about property and ask me, do you know, have you got a builder? Have you got an architect? Have you got a pl- plumber? People it's ask. a very good point, that, actually, because I don't think a lot of people who, who are... I mean, as usual with all these sort of things, you only tend to hear about people who've had bad experiences with yeah. referrals who complain. Yeah, yeah. The people who get it right just carry on with their lives. So it's, so it's quite frustrating. Um, I mean, look, uh, it's it's fascinating, I'm sure, and I really hope that some of the listeners have found listening to you um, interesting. I mean, you know, I've certainly never had any reservations about, about D&G. I think it's a fabulous business. Um, what you've been doing with it is, is is clearly dragging it into a new era, if I can put it like that, which is which is which is fantastic. Um, have you? I mean, it's been a um, what's the right word? A relatively bruising journey in some ways, <laughs> taking a company from uh, what it was, which was a, as you say, absolutely shot through with integrity and everything else and and, and service, but perhaps wasn't. Um, how can I put this? Um, unlike a lot of companies in London, weren't weren't purely commercially based. Do you think there's a place for someone who has commerciality and service as oh, part of their ethos? You have to. You have to. I mean, our, our vision is to, you know, be the market leader where we choose to operate. That that has that's our view. I'll, I'll make no bones that we. I am a competitive person, and I do believe that if we instruct someone to rent or sell their property, we want to do it better than anyone else. But I've, you know, I'm I'm pretty open about that. Um, so we do want to gain more market share everywhere we choose to operate. We're a business, so you know we want to be able to do that. That enables to offer better service. So our vision is that, and we will do that through having higher caliber, better people. We train better. We recruit in a particular way to do that. We do want to have market-leading technology, not just in the industry, but out there. You know, genuinely fantastic technology, and you need an amazing brand behind that. And if you do that well you will end up gaining more market share. But that has to be, without exception, with an overview of world-class service. If you go to a great hotel and you get amazing service at every possible level, you will rebook before you leave. Uh, And so it's not about just... In fact, it would be odd to say we're commercial without service. The two don't work together. You have to have both. Yeah. Well, I think before any listeners complain that this is... You know, we must acknowledge we are talking about London here, and clearly in London there is, there is a. It's well known that people will pay for service, and they can afford to pay for service. But that doesn't mean that anywhere else in the UK isn't. There are plenty of of really um, world class people working in estate agency all over the UK who, who uh, deserve the fees they get. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. um, I don't think there's any question here that. Perhaps the recent, and we'll talk more about this another time, but I think there's been a certain culture recently of, oh, everyone's got to cut their fees and everything else, which is a disaster because you end up then not giving the public the best, you know, the best no, possible really. service. Um, and I'm a, I'm a fan of persuading people to pay for service. And I think whether we end up with a series of agencies who are, who are boutique top end and then sort of serving the masses, I, I have no idea. But, um, you know, I'm very pleased that... D&G is in good hands and it's been fascinating to, to learn a bit more about you and I hope we'll talk again. So uh, thank you very much for coming in. No, definitely, Edmore. Thank you. Thanks.